3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be able to make friends. I'm trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, to teach, to discover, to learn. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. For over a decade, tech stocks led the market, and we got so used to it that we forgot this group has often been a pariah. Yet that's exactly what tech's become over the past year. So it's time to face a few facts that nobody in Silicon Valley seems to want to acknowledge. Facts that explain why the Nasdaq keeps underperforming the other averages. Like today, where the Dow inched up two points, s dipped 0.74%, and the Nasdaq tumbled 2.04%. As the guy who created the term FANG and then made it FANG, which now stands for Meta Platforms, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Alphabet, and hey, why not throw in Microsoft for good measure? I know why these companies used to be the crown kings of the stock market. They had little competition, great growth, and no real economic sensitivity. But that's no longer the case. Hence the tech's regicide over the past 11 months. While there are moments when they can have a resurgence, Apple might report something good tomorrow. This formerly gigantic cohort is no longer what it used to be, which makes the market capitalization here very difficult to justify, even after these declines. Now, their fall has been well chronicled, but it took the last 24 hours to rip the shroud uh, off of the glory of the acronym. So let's take them down one by one with an idea towards what really has happened here, because it's rather monumental. First, the fine names are no longer secular growth stories. Many of them have no growth whatsoever. They're now well hostage to the broader economy or even to their own, let's say, incompetence. Last night, Google told a story of advertising that didn't sound too different from what you might hear from, say, an old-school television company, Linear TV. They were hurt by a lack of ads, especially from crypto and mortgage lenders. Yeah, I thought those would be small potatoes versus the ad revenue they'd be getting from anything connected to travel. Forget about it. The disappointing YouTube ad numbers should only get worse as the Fed tightens. In the end, it's a cyclical business that rises and falls with the rest of the economy no longer to such a low price journeys multiple. We just heard something very similar from Meta Platforms. That's the artist formerly known as Facebook today. Not only did they report mixed results with better-than-expected sales, uh, but also a huge, huge shortfall here. I, I, you know what? These guys may be delusional. They just may be delusional. The forecast for the current quarter was uh, lackluster. Why? The average price per ad is way down, off 18%. Didn't help that CEO Mark Zuckerberg warned of steep losses in the metaverse division next year. Something that's proving to be a, a, a real money pit. Hence why the stock's plummeting. and no, I shouldn't say plummeting. Hence why the stock is destroying everyone who owns it tonight. What a nightmare. Just a hurricane of pain. And you know what? We've owned it forever for the Travel Trust. They could make anyone, even someone who's up big on it, a chump. Delusional. Microsoft had, pl- had plenty of growth from the remote work environment, but that growth vanished because it's not like you need to buy a new PC every year, although people seem to think you had to. The gaming division seemed lackluster. Again, that was something you did during COVID. Worst of all was the prediction of a slowdown in Azure, their cloud infrastructure business that had been so strong. I know Microsoft's actual quarter was excellent. They'll tell you that from now till the cows come home. But the forecast from CFO Amy Hood was ugly. And she is not, by the way, in the habit of sandbagging us with global guidance. So point number two, the endless claims that we're still in the early innings of cloud adoption can now be debunked. You don't get that kind of slowdown in Azure if the cloud's roaring. To put it in baseball terms, I think the cloud's now probably in the fifth or sixth inning. And there are way too many uh, competitors. I mean, there are some like ServiceNow reported a good number tonight, but they're few and far between. Now, uh, Google's spending a fortune to poach customers, their their cloud division from Amazon and Microsoft, then they're going to do something just to destroy everybody's profitability. If you're now just now hopping on the cloud bandwagon, you're real late to the game. And I'm sick of hearing otherwise, although they will tell you it. Because the denial out in Silicon Valley is palpable. Remember, I did not say lie. I did not say fraud. I said denial. Third, there is now so much competition with these companies. The Chinese video platform TikTok is crushing YouTube, just like it's laying waste uh, Facebook. I was taken aback by how much damage TikTok did to Google. This is one of the greatest disruptors of all time, this TikTok. Yet the CEOs of the big dogs seem uh, totally oblivious or in denial about TikTok's power. Maybe they're arrogant. Now, here's something you use when you apply to people who went to Stanford Business School and Stanford Computing and Engineering. Maybe they're idiots. Idiots. Fourth, speaking of arrogance, these companies, with the exception, I think, of Apple, have no idea how to read the room. When you disappoint like Alphabet or Microsoft, you have to put it right up front. You don't obscure the shortfall. You don't tell us what a great quarter you had. Oh, by the way, and you're never, you never say you're going to hire 12,000 people within a few sentences of talking about the need to tighten your belt like Alphabet did. Pure hubris. It was embarrassing and unbecoming. Hey, let me tell you something. You know what I said at the beginning of the show? It's not about friends. It's about money. Well, let me tell you something. I don't even want a friend out there after tonight. By the, I, I don't care if they hate me. It makes me stronger. By the way, the idea that Google can spend money on anything and everything should be long dead. Plus, the endless junking up of search results leading to search fatigue. I mean, do you ever try to use it anymore? Yes, we all need Google, but that no longer makes it a good stock. As far as management goes, I'll just say this. If Alphabet had gotten lean when the terrific Ruth Porat took over CFO, they'd be in much better shape now. Instead, they've got a host of money-losing side businesses. I bet you a lot of the executives don't even know these businesses exist within their own companies. It's almost like it's beneath them. Oh, and let's make one thing perfectly clear. Meta like AMD and NVIDIA, but those are two honorable companies, should have pre-announced the shortfall that I saw tonight. It was way too big to keep secret. No wonder the stock kept going down ahead of time. That's why the government has these damn rules. It's not cricket. It's not how you play the game. It's ill advised, unfair, but they are unfazed, as has become typical with the firms out in Silicon Valley. They've made so much money, What do they care? They destroyed everyone, but what do they care? What do they care? Fifth, nobody enjoys uh, firing people. I know I've had to fire some people in my lifetime, but when you lose your secular growth status like these companies have, you have to find ways to save money. And simply not filling positions is not enough. You need to do what's called layoffs, reductions in forces. No one wants to do them, but they don't even seem to know how to do. I don't even know if they know it. I wonder if they they think RIF is like some sort of thing like, I don't know, uh, you know, annual recurring revenue, RIF. Can they come up with something? Income in force? I don't know. Maybe I'll Google it. No, you can't. There's 70 things ahead of it. Six, we discovered last night that the data center has become a cost center. When I hear that the price of electricity in Europe is hurting data center profitability, I start thinking, what the heck? Are these chemical companies? If that's the case, I'd rather own Dow. It also makes me realize that the semiconductor companies, semiconductor industry, well, uh, that may be an industry uh, with the exception of the honorable people at AMD and, and NVIDIA. Well, maybe that's not even much of an industry. Seventh, the FANG cohort can no longer grow their way out of this jam by making acquisitions. You know why? Governments worldwide despise them. They hate them. Do you know that's the only thing that the Republicans and Democrats agree on? That how horrible these companies are? The Biden administration in particular, would like nothing more than destroy these companies, any excuse to go after them. But it's not just the Democrats. Hating big tech is one of the last bastions of. Po- hey, when you speak to uh, guys like McCarthy, you know, they, I'd speak to him, uh, he's a minority leader, or you speak to the majority leader, they, they said, like, the only thing you can say to them when they're disagreeing with each other is, how about, what do you think of metaverse? Finally, tech companies issue stock endlessly and typically pay little to no dividends. Yet there are legions of stocks out there with immense buybacks and generous dividends, and many of them are much less hostage to the broader economy. It's time to recognize that Fang names got too big. Can they turn things around? Sure, but they've really got to change the way they operate. Like we've seen Netflix rolling out ads to breathe new life in the business model. They're trying. I think Apple's trying. Now, some of these companies can be reset. Meta? I don't know. I think they have to change their name again. They really do. I mean, you can't can't be safe. Meta. I don't know. How about loser? How about Stupuda? I don't know. Anything. Anything. It doesn't even matter. I don't know if they can make a comeback. The facts have changed, and I have to change with it. I believed. I thought I'd be safe. I was wrong. Bottom line, forget being leaders. Big stocks are now followers in a post-COVID era where we're learning that their earnings were far more inflated by the pandemic than we knew. We're just now discovering that the tech emperors have no clothes, if they're even emperors at all. Brandon in California. Brandon. Uh, big booyah to you, Jim. Booyah. Uh,
1: my question to you, my good man, is I'm looking for a well-managed
2: asset management company to add to my portfolio. Uh, what do you think about that?
3: Uh, BlackRock? Yes, sir. BlackRock is an excellent company run run by honorable people who tell the truth as they see it and are very realistic, and I, I would definitely recommend that they are worth owning. All right, so look, am I hot under the collar? No, actually, I'm fine. I'll be up more upset if the Phillies don't win the World Series or if the Eagles lose this weekend. But sometimes, you know, you got to blow off steam, particularly when you see trillionaires and billionaires Unable to come to grips with the fact that they want to destroy everything you have. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, Illinois Toolworks reported top and bottom might be, you think they want to take everything you have? I think they just want to be good Toolworks people. Uh, then earlier today, we got the largest IPO of the year, mobile eye. But could the Intel spinoff be investable after today's big run? I'll give you my take. And the financiers are back in fashion on the Wall Street Fashion Show. So could will be a name you should keep on your radar? I'm talking to the CEO. Once again, you know what? No harm, no foul, Chief. Stay with Kramer.
4: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer, hashtag madtweets.
3: Just because we're headed into a Fed mandated recession, or at least many think that, doesn't mean that all industrials immediately start falling apart. Take ITW, Illinois Toolworks, doesn't make our specialized industrial equipment that I like to think of as a manufacturer's manufacturer. Yesterday morning, this company reported a terrific beat and raise quarter. Just a great set of results, with management raising their four year organic growth forecast from 7% to 10% to 11 to 12%. That's extraordinary. That put Illinois Toolworks in an elite company uh, at a time when most industrials are struggling to post positive growth at all. In response, the stock jumped $5 before tacking on another buck and change today. So how the heck did these guys pull it off? Let's check in with Scott Santee. He's the chairman and CEO of Illinois Toolworks. And to a better read on the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Santee, welcome back to Mad Money.
6: Hi, Jim. How are you?
3: Uh, I am. Good, good to be Thank back. Thank you. Oh, it is great to be back to see you. I've got to tell you, your 80-20 rule is working. Your uh, decision to be in all the markets that you can dominate is working. And I want to get right to it, even though a lot of people are very worried about a slowdown. Uh, and I know that you're you're honest that some places are slow. The amount of business you're doing and the percentage increases are staggering. What is your secret across so many different industries, food equipment, auto, residential? These are all so strong. How did it come together?
6: Well, I'd I'd say that we've done uh, some really hard work in terms of keeping ourselves positioned all the way back to the pandemic. We had uh, an opportunity to make a decision at the depth of the pandemic that was uh, to, to, to really keep all of our people fully on staff, all of our team members around the world, to stay invested in our businesses, and ultimately position ourselves for the recovery. And, and I would say that that is at least in a you know, significant part helping fuel our results right now.
3: Well, I want to flesh, flesh that out because Scott, most of the companies I deal with, particularly industrial, they laid people off. They gave people big buyouts. They really thought things would be bad. Those people never came back. And so when things got better, the, the, there was a huge scramble. Are you telling me that you had your people in place and were ready to win for, uh, with this recovery?
6: that that's exactly right. I you know we you know in the depths of the pandemic you know we were a different company by then than we were back in the 08 09 recession and it, it had built a business that was much more profitable operating margins solidly in the mid 20s and that certainly gave us some options in terms of how we wanted to handle and position ourselves. You know the decision to to stay fully employed was partly a a, a values based decision. We thought it was the right thing to do to be there to support our people in one of the you know, most uncertain times personally for, for, for all of them. But by the same token, you know, we thought it was a really good business decision for exactly the reasons that you talked about. To stay in position, to support our customers on the recovery um, was the right thing to do for the business and, and from the standpoint of our competitive positioning all around the world.
3: Well, I'm glad you mentioned competitive because, I mean, for instance, restaurant up 40 is really extraordinary. Did other guys just not able to handle the orders and you took them?
6: Well, I'd say to some degree from us, you know, the supply chain issues have been um, certainly significant. We are not immune. But from the standpoint of our, um, again, decision to stay invested, that included staying invested with our suppliers. We are a company that produces where we sell around the world. We developed localized supply chains around the world. And during the depths of the pandemic, we kept enough business going to our key suppliers because we knew, just like our people, we were going to need them on the recovery. And so, to some degree, I would say all of that ultimately is putting in a, us in a position where we can supply um, where maybe some other people are having a, more challenges in that regard.
3: Well, yeah, it kind of some people are probably saying that's an extraordinary business decision. But you guys have been around for a long time and operate quite differently. Not that you're willing not to sell a division if you don't think it rights, but it's right. But I mean, take automotive, uh, you, you're 20, 26 uh, percent Europe, uh, 20, what, 3 percent North America, 29 percent China. No one had that kind of growth. People really pulled back from automotive, but you didn't. You, you leaned into it.
6: Yeah. And, you know, I, I would certainly point out that, you know, part of the the sort of you know, positive in those comparisons are against third quarter last year that was probably the height of the chip shortage in terms of constraint on automotive production that being said um, our ability to supply our customers as their you know this chip problem starts to ease and demand remains strong in the automotive business is certainly a, an element of our gaining share with our major oem customers
3: all right now, I, I'm worried about residential, as are you. You mentioned residential is possibly yeah. getting soft in the interim is coming from for, for you, a remarkable level, even as others are falling by the wayside. What did you do in residential that made it so it was uh, that it really just was magnificently even at all times?
6: Well, I I, I would say through the third quarter, business remained relatively strong. We are uh, certainly not immune. And um, as as we talked about, we have definitely seen some things pull back um, late in the quarter, late in the third quarter. We expect those to continue. That's probably the most interest rate sensitive part of our business, but yet it's only, you know, six, 7% of our overall sales. But, you know, I, I would say overall that we have Focus really hard on only operating in, in highly value added spaces of the, the residential construction market where we can deliver solutions to our customers. And ultimately, that does um, you know, our ability to continue to innovate and create new solutions does take some of the cyclicality out of it for us.
3: And just uh, in the final moment, I want people to understand eighty 20 I've mentioned it twice. Uh, okay. It is clearly sure. uh, the secret sauce. Others don't have it. Uh, explain to people how it works for you.
6: Well, at a high level, so eighty twenty is is really the uh, the the core competitive advantage of itW. It's a methodology that we have built up in the company over the course of the last thirty years or so. and it's based on the eighty twenty principle. We don't own eighty twenty as a principle, but the way we apply it in terms of the way we operate our businesses is essentially, that we focus our entire businesses on out serving the, the relative handful, the 20 percent of customers that typically generate 80 percent more of the profit and growth potential in any industrial business at least any, any industrial business that we've come across, certainly. And as a result of that kind of intense focus on a relative handful of large important customers, we generate we typically generate best-in-class customer-facing execution in terms of cost, delivery value-add, and also we generate um, typically operating margins and returns on capital in any industry we operate at, at 2x or better, the right. industry average.
3: Well, look, i got to congratulate you. Uh, you're just doing it right. Others are falling by the wayside. People kept asking me, what is with this ITW? And I kept saying, hey, happy. maybe it's just better managed, which it is. Thank you to Scott Santee, the chairman and CEO of Illinois Toolworks. Well done, sir, and great to have you back. Thanks,
6: Jim. Good to see you.
3: That money's back after the break. Coming up,
4: this company is self-driving their way to Wall Street. All eyes on an autonomous IPO. Next.
2: You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash card.
3: We haven't spent much time talking about the IPO market this year because there hasn't been anything to discuss. Hardly anybody wants to come public in such a bleak environment. But today, that changed when Intel, the semiconductor company, spun off its advanced driver assistance and self-driving technology business, Mobileye, as a separate company. Boy, the market lapped it up. This wasn't some small-time deal. It's the largest IPO of the year by market capitalization, as Mobileye came public at a $17 billion valuation. And it was little unusual, because Mobileye was an independent, publicly traded company not too long ago. And while it was pretty volatile, its overall performance was strong. Plus, they really lucked out with the timing because this is the first week in a long time where Wall Street was not terrified of the Federal Reserve laying tech to waste with relentless rate hikes. Of course, this is a blackout period for the Fed. They can't talk anyway. Still, it's a pretty impress—it's really very impressive, I think, that Intel could price its mobilized spinoff at $21, up a dollar from the high end of the proposed range. Most of them have not done that. Only for the stock to open at 26 bucks, kind of like the old days for finishing under the day just under 29 that's up 38 percent from the deal price this is one you want to get into that's the kind of action you might have expected from an ipo over a year ago when wall street couldn't get enough of this stuff so what does the what does it mean what does mobile ideal mean for the market and for the company okay first you need to know that this company makes hardware and software for the auto industry they're a major player in advanced driver assistance systems and if we ever get truly self-driving cars I'm betting Mobileye will have a piece of that. Now, Mobileye initially came public in 2014 with a $5.3 billion valuation before selling itself to Intel for roughly $15 billion just three years later. Nice. Of course, it never really made sense for Intel to have a self-driving car division. I remember when they said they bought it, they told me, listen, it really fits in. I said, how? How? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, Wall Street likes straightforward stories, not complicated ones. Mobileye is a fast-growing business that was never going to get the credit it deserves under the Intel umbrella. Hence the spinoff, although Intel's retained a majority stake here, a ton of it. Now, they want to keep owning Mobileye, but they know it'll be worth more as a separate entity. Financial ledger demand? I don't know. You're a call. Maybe alchemy. Plus, Intel's spending aggressively to build new semiconductor plants in Ohio and Arizona, so the extra gas certainly doesn't hurt especially for those of who have been worried about the dividend. That said, you might think that this is the worst possible time to spin off a fast-growing tech business like this one. When Intel announced the Mobileye spin-off last December, we heard chatter that it would be worth, okay, ready? $50 billion. $50 billion valuation. And honestly, that didn't even sound particularly crazy at the time because richly valued tech stocks had only just peaked. Then as the IPO market froze over, and every high flying tech stock got obliterated Intel scaled back its ambitions. In the end, Mobileye came public with a $17 billion valuation, down from 50. billion. Although, after today's bounce, it's worth $23 billion, still less than half. In the end, the IPO price wasn't much higher than what Intel paid for the whole thing back in 2017. But maybe they're paying your game. The fact is, Mobileye's a good business. Last year, they had 43% revenue growth. And while that uh, slowed to 21% in the first six months of 2022, It's still pretty darn good when you consider that they were up against tough comparisons. Plus, the revenue growth accelerated to 38% in the third quarter, which is terrific. By the way, nearly all of this is coming from the company's advanced driver assistance systems. Now, you might not know this, but this can be found in roughly 800 different models of cars and trucks. Their system on a chip that have been deployed in 125, 125 million vehicles. And Mobileye keeps racking up big design wins with the automakers. Over 40 last year alone. We know business remains strong because they shipped 24 million systems on a chip in the first nine months of this year, up from 21.2 million over the same period in 2021. What's not the like? Long-term management thinks their driver assistance solutions can be deployed in 270 million additional vehicles by 2030. 54 million of these come from the business they've just won. Just since the beginning of the year. In short, Mobilize is a real company with real products, and at the moment, tremendous demand for those products. That said, they're not that profitable. The company generated $276 million in adjusted debt income in the first nine months of the year, up from $270 million over the same period in 2021. Plus, when you look at the non-adjusted numbers, they had a $67 million loss. Loss. Some of the difference comes down to stock-based compensation, uh, although the rest is due to the amortization of acquired intangible assets, what the company calls developed technology. Seems a little weird that they back that out. You don't normally adjust for amortization. Now, as part of the separation from Intel, Mobileye was issued a dividend note. Basically, an upfront payment of $3.5 billion that they'll pay back to Intel over time in the form of dividends. Other than that, they don't have much debt. I like that, too. So where do I come down here? I like mobilized growth, although it's a bit inconsistent. I like that they're turning a profit on an adjusted basis with the margins expanding dramatically from 2019 through 2021, even as their operating margin came down a bit in the first half of the year. The balance sheet very strong. What worries me here is that Mobileye doesn't seem like a good fit for the market. As, many as, uh, as much as I like uh, the long-term story, and I really do, this kind of stock has been totally out of favor. You know it, the Wall Street fashion show, for nearly a year. Honestly, if these high multiple tech stocks hadn't started bouncing over the past couple of weeks, I bet in until it would have pulled the deal. If you think the Fed's going to keep tightening aggressively, then it makes no sense to buy Mobileye here. Just be patient. Jay Powell will give you a better entry point. At the same time, the advanced driver assistance base has gotten incredibly competitive. You've got NVIDIA, Alphabet's Waymo division, although who the heck knows what's going on with Alphabet, GM's Cruise subsidiary, I like them, have met the management, and some smaller SPAC names. The last time Mobileye was an independent company, they were more or less the only game in town. So it's got less scarcity value than it used to have. Plus, while has experienced tremendous revenue growth under Intel, the margins have come way down. You could argue that Intel made the right call here. Because uh, until a year ago, the market loved fast growing tech plays regardless of the profitability. That's no longer the case. And of course, Intel still owns 94% of the thing. So if they plan to sell down the road, that could put real pressure on the stock. I'm very worried about that. On the other hand, if they just want Mobileye to get an independent valuation. Well, you got nothing to worry about. But we don't know. Let's talk valuation. After the stock's monster move today, Mobile is tra- trading at roughly 24%. Times our back of the envelope earnings calculation for this year. Honestly, not too expensive for one of the great secular growth stories of our era. Although, again, I wouldn't chase it here. Let me give you the bottom line. I like Mobileye, the business, but I think Mobileye, the stocks, are going to have a tough time once people realize the Fed's war on inflation is far from over. So, if you want a piece of this thing, I recommend waiting for a pullback, maybe down below $24, and then you're paying less than 20 times earnings. And that would be a nice price for Mobileye. Let's take calls. Let's go to Al in California. Al. Hi, Jim. Thanks
1: for all the good help and uh, uh, good shows over the years. I've been listening for many, many years. Uh, so oh,
3: thank, thank you, you, Al. For, for
1: thank all you. Viewers. Um, my thank question you. has to do with uh, the company, the food company, snack food company, Uts, UTC, a good old Pennsylvania company. Uh, they seem... Fairly cheap here at fifteen. Now, um, it may be the one good speck in the barrel of bad apples. So, uh, along with MP materials, which you'll talk about later, I uh,
3: probably at
1: some point. Um, you, would you be a buyer of Uts here at fifteen? Uh, I think salty um, I have snack- to tell you, I,
3: I I'm going yeah. with. Uh, look, I think you're right about Uts. I think they're a lot, lot to like. But you know, you know something. We're a market where PepsiCo is the way to go. They've got great snacks, and Uts is a little bit too. Uh, small cap for me right now. That's just the way I feel. Let's go to David in Connecticut, please. Da- oh, no, we're not going to get a chance. We're going to have to talk about Mobileye just to say goodbye. I like Mobileye the business, but I think Mobileye the stock is going to have a tough time. If you went in, I recommend waiting for a bit of a pullback. Hey, much more mad money ahead. Including my exclusive, this default. Is it finally time to back into the financial You know I like the group. I'm learning more with the company CEO. Then sometimes you have to disagree with market's judgment. I'm revealing a few names that I think may have gotten the short end of the stick. And all your calls, are rapid fire, in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Krinkler. One of the big takeaways from this earnings season is that Wall Street's finally showing some love for the financials, even when their numbers aren't perfect. Take Stiefel Financial. That's the Missouri-based investment bank, one of the best wealth management franchises in this entire country. This morning, Stiefel reported a top and bottom line miss, thanks to soft results in their investment banking division, not especially. specialty. Management uh, even cut the full-year forecast a tad. Yet, yeah, when all was said and done, what happened? The stock finished the day up 2.6%. If this were a tech stock, I would have been down 26%. Why? Because everybody already knew that investment banking would be bad. Management told a really terrific story about their steady wealth management business, which is what I like. So could this be the start of a longer-term recovery, given that the stock's only up a few points from its 52-week low? Did it was set just a couple of weeks ago? Let's take a closer look with Ron Krzyzewski. He's the longtime chairman and CEO of for Financial to learn more about the quarter. Mr. Krzyzewski, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, how are you? Glad to be here. Well, first, let's, uh, let's dispense with something that I think is very important. Happy 25th anniversary. What a run you've had. Tell me the difference between when you got there and what the firm is like now. Well,
1: I can tell you, I'm, I'm a little bit older. That's one of the things that's changed. You know, Jim, when I got here, the revenues were 100 million. Our market cap was 40 million. Uh, you know, we're pushing 5 billion in revenue. Our market cap got as high as 8 billion. Obviously, we've We pulled back here, but the the company's grown tremendously. It is hard to believe that I've actually been a public company CEO in the financial services for 25 years. I'll bet you I just somehow jinxed myself. Well, no, 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 no.
3: don't say that. There are many (laughs) teams that are dynasties. You've got one. Now, Ron, what's interesting is things have been flow. There was a time when it had to be trading. There was a time when it had to be private equity. There was a time when it had to be wham and jam arbitrage. Now it's wealth management. You were always wealth management, consistent, stable. Why are people finally coming around to your kind of business? Well, I don't think
1: they are, Jim. I mean, I, if you look at where we're trading, I don't think people really understand the thriving, diversified business that we have that is anchored by wealth management. Uh, You know, we're uh, everyone's going, oh, woe is me. It's been a difficult year. But at Stiefel, this will be our second best year ever in terms of revenue and profitability, only trailing last year. So I do think that what you're saying is true. Uh, I'm not sure that the market is appreciating it right now.
3: All right. So, Ron, I've always been a believer that you can have ideas yourself, come up with them. Uh, And you can do direct trading. There's nothing wrong with that. I know you've got that, too. But I like to talk over an idea. I like to say to someone, you know what? I like Seagate. And if they ask you whether it's a hotel or a disc drive, you know you take a pass. Has Stiefel demonstrated itself over the years as the sounding board for people who want to get wealthy or wealthy people before they blow their heads off? Uh, well, absolutely.
1: I mean, take take this market. What a lot of people aren't thinking about, Jim. I'm sure you are because you're a pro at this. But what's happened in the bond market? What what smart investors are doing is they're doing bond swaps. When's the last time you talked about bond swaps, Jim? Where you can actually, basically, get the same bond but harvest a tax loss. That comes from talking to an advisor. That's by owning individual bonds. And that's true in stocks and in sectors. And I believe that in the next few years, stock picking is going to matter versus, you know, there is no alternative to equities. Tina, stock picking is going to
3: matter. I think I'm silly, you mentioned this stuff. It, it's music to my ears because there's so many people feel like one, you can't be, beat the market. You and I know that that's not true. If you do it the correct way, you want to, of course, manage your own taxes. And a lot of people don't realize how to make money with their money of which people who work at Steve can explain to you. Now, another thing you have that I really like, you are now, I see, the second largest provider of U.S. equity research. I love research. I think people at home love it. It gives them confidence. So you've decided to make that into a Good, clean, honest business, right?
1: We have. I mean, we have built uh, our intellectual capital around our research. That has been a hallmark of our firm uh, for really over. The, the whole time I've been here, so two decades plus. Uh, uh, you know, again, the market doesn't like that. They think that research doesn't add any value. And I say oh contrary it does. Uh, and and we, we've proven that, and we'll continue to prove it. I love our research, uh, and I'm glad that you brought it up.
3: Right. I mean, your research is not owned, is the way I look at it. When I read it, I think it's someone trying to do their very best, and it's very helpful for me to make decisions. Now, another thing you do that I've always felt, people always say, oh, the assets at a broker, broker's house, they go out the the door every morning, right down the elevator, they're going, and whatever all that stuff about how you can't keep people. It's the opposite with you. I see you recruiting now. When you recruit these people, uh, are they immediately accretive and they seem to want to stay at Steve?
1: Well, absolutely. Uh, you know, you know what? Our we are an intellectual capital business, we're not an app. So you don't just hit an app to access uh, our resources. You do it through our people. And our people do go down the elevator every day and they go home. Uh, The good news is is they come back every day. They like it here. Uh, We recruit people. And when we recruit an advisor and we did recruited a big team today, they are immediately accretive, Jim, immediately.
3: Well, I've got to feel that you can amortize love all those great resort, uh, resources over the course of all these groups that want that backup and that honest backup. That is really the key to what you guys do, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. It's a, it's a personal relationship business. Uh, People want financial advice, uh, or at least a certain amount do. But, uh, you know, look, we're coming into some tough economic decisions here, Jim, and there's some crossroads, what the Fed's going to do and what the Fed's not going to do. And, uh, you know, I think that you, people want to understand what we think here at
3: Steeple. Oh, I totally agree with what the Fed's going to do is an open question. But if you have informed people talking to you, at least you can be ready for whatever happens. Happy twenty fifth! You've done a great job. Ron Kachewski is the chairman, CEO of Steeple. I love having you on the show. Thank you, sir. Jeff, yeah, thank you. Everybody's money's back in for the break. Coming
4: up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire, lightning round. Next.
3: Paul's Words are saying this talk to Bob Belvin just I don't know the course. I'm gonna plan it. Plan the sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski day, time for the lightning round, crazy lighting. Why don't we start with Josh and Marilyn? Josh! Hey, I first wanna give you a big old crab cake booya, oh, yeah, Jim. Man, I could use a couple of crab cakes. Thank you very much. What's ha- I'm a crabby patty. What's going on?
6: Yeah, what, do you, what do you think about Lucid Group, the high-end EV You know play? what?
3: I love the car. They're losing too much money. And when I recommend companies that are losing money, here's what happens. My credibility goes down, and you lose money. I find that to be a devil's bargain. Let's go to Dave in my home state of New Jersey. Dave. Uh,
2: yeah, Dave, um, I want to know what you think about FEMSA.
3: Interesting, but you know what? I don't need to go overseas to lose money. I can lose all the money I want here, so we're not going for it. Let's go to Dale in Ohio. Dale. Hello, Kramer. I would like your take on Flex LNG. Jimmy Joe likes flex. Why? Because it's got a product that we all need. We gotta get our natural gas over there. It's easier to get it to Europe than it is to get it through New Jersey because they don't like pipelines in New Jersey. How do you like that? Let's go to Alex in Arizona. Alex. Booyah, Jim. Happy Wednesday. Uh, you once called it a best of a bad neighborhood. I wanted to hear about charge point. Ah, the whole neighborhood went to hell. Let's go to uh, let's go to Emanuel, New Jersey. Emanuel.
1: Yes. Hi, Jim. I'm a media show and I'm a big fan. I've got a question right. about um, I've got a question about Coinbase. Um, Coinbase. I've been investing in the, yes. I've been investing in the stock for about a few months now. Do you think I should continue to
3: hold on to the stock? Should I sell it? Well, I mean, Coinbase is one. Here's what's going on with Coinbase. It's down 70 percent. People actually trust it. OK, they believe in it. And that is going to keep it from going down much more. And uh, that's fine. Uh, not enough of a reason for me to own it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
4: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, a view from the floor. Kramer's in the thick of action from the NYSE with some big names worth a closer look. Next.
3: Sometimes the market just plain gets it wrong, especially at the height of earnings season when there's just too much information coming at us all at once. Every now and then, a company will reach an inflection point. Yet, for whatever reason, it seems invisible to the big money managers who dominate the action. Let me give you three stories that I think were and are being misinterpreted at this very moment. Yes, we're taking our cue from the animals. I'm just a stock whose intentions are good. Oh, Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood. The first is Constellation Brands, STZ. This is the beer and liquor company we own for the Chapel Trust. The rap on this one is that even though Constellation makes a ton of money off Corona, Medallo, Pacifica, among other brands, all of that strength is buried underneath the constant disappointments from canopy growth. The Cannabis outfit that they own a huge stake in. We had them on the show last night. I think CEO David Klein, who comes from Constellation, and CFO Judy Hong, who is a former top-notch Goldman Sachs packaged goods analyst, have changed this company dramatically in a very short period of time. I see Canopy making a turn from losing a fortune to being profitable as they start to expand into the United States. At the same time, they ring-fenced Constellation, the parent, from the losses that might be generated in the interim. It's a great plan. Even as a, if, if we don't get federal marijuana legalization anytime soon, Constellation no longer has to report Canopy's losses as its own every quarter. And if we do get legalization sooner than expected, Canopy's gains will flow to Constellation. Like I said this morning in our morning meeting for the investing club, it is time to buy, buy, buy Constellation if you already don't own it. Let me give you another one that was just destroyed by the market today. Destroyed Chipotle. Now, Chipotle has been one of my absolute favorite companies. Do you know I've been recommending the stock since it traded in the 300s? It closed today at 1476. That's right. 1,476. But that was down $108 in the session. Last night, Chipotle reported what I thought was a terrific quarter. That several analysts harped on the fact that after putting through a series of major price increases over the past few years, the chains become too expensive for some people. Now, Madden admitted they're seeing some modest market share loss in small towns, but in the end, they still put up tremendous same-store sales growth, up more than seven percent. Now remember, what we care about here is the metric of same-store sales. So while it may not return right to here immediately, I think buying in here makes a ton, ton, ton of sense, What I like Chipotle's doing, Well, here's what they've really got. See, they've got extreme, extreme inflation. I mean, just terrible. And while they have the inflation, and it's been going on for some time, uh, it includes avocados, dairy, and beef. They think that they might be able to get a break on one of these. Now, if they get a break on any of these commodities, you're going to see a dramatic increase in profits. You know, take a look. There's a paradigm. We saw it with stop and chicken wings just now. I think it's nuts that Chipotle's stock was down more than 6% today because it's worth sticking around, at least for that raw cost inflection, which I think might be upon us now. Finally, this one that was so despised that I'm, I kind of feel like I'm metaversing myself with this one. It's Boeing. Sure, the quarter was messy, certainly messier in the conference call than the, the release. There were parts issues and big charges, and as usual, management failed to execute as well as we had hoped. But in the end of the day, there's tremendous demand for commercial aircraft. And I like situations where there's a lot of demand. We have this new economy, the traveling economy, and it needs more planes. Come on. How many? Have you taken a flight that wasn't extremely full? That's because there are not enough planes. This morning, Boeing CEO David Calhoun came on Squawk in the Street and talked about the amazing demand for both narrow-body aircraft but also for the much more lucrative wide-bodies. He did not talk, talk about some of the more negative things on the call, uh, when he was being interviewed with us, which is why the stock cascaded later on. But one worry here is that we keep hearing how China doesn't want American-made aircraft. But they don't have a choice. Boeing sold about 40 planes that have been earmarked for China to other buyers as talk soured. There are about 100 planes left That could be traded away, too, instead of going to China. If I were the Chinese government, I'd think twice about not taking down those planes. I know they want to make their own, but it's not that easy to build an aerospace industry from scratch, especially when the U.S. government keeps making it harder and harder for them to buy high-quality semiconductors. Don't forget that Boeing competitor Airbus has more business than it can handle, so China can't count on them. Yep, there are only two companies on Earth that can make commercial aircraft at scale. And given the incredible demand for planes worldwide, somebody's going to buy them. Plus, Boeing's got positive cash flow. That surprised me. If, like me, you believe in the travel economy, it might be time to consider buying the stock of Boeing. Not all at once, please. It's way too volatile. Let's see. Consolation, Chipotle, Boeing. Three misunderstood gems giving you some very nice buying opportunities. I'd like to say there's always a bone working somewhere. I promise you I'd find it just for you. Right here on Mad Money, I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you